Hey fam, thanks for checking this little recording out. If you're listening to this, it means you must have attended a talk, workshop, or even a class of mine that I recorded, and you want to get the nitty gritty. That's great. Excellent. If you're just being snoopy and you're trying to figure things out, it's all good. My name's Dan White Hodge. I'm an educator, and you're about to learn something today. Thanks again for following up, and I truly hope this adds an enrichment to you and your work. As always, hit me up if you got them questions at whitehodge.com and check out my podcast while you're at it, Profane Faith. I'll talk with you later. Peace. Here we are, the virtual world, and y'all, I've got an amazing, amazing friend of mine. I told y'all I was going to be bringing him in, and he is here because of the COVID-19 stuff, so please welcome Brother Paul Hammond. Thank you. Yes. Yes. Oh, yes. That's what's up, man. Uh, so real quick, Paul, give us a little bit of a background on just, you know, who you are, what you do, uh, and how it relates to all this science stuff. Okay, uh, thanks, man. So uh, my name is Paul Hammond II. Um, I do got to give a quick disclaimer up the top. So um, I am a dep- I am an employee of the United States government. Uh, specifically, I work in a, um, in a research laboratory at the Department of Veterans Affairs. And the pains and views expressed in this uh, this interview are not that of you as the government and are solely of my own. Oh man! All right, all right. Yeah. That's yeah. We always have, whenever I say anything in public, any of us, whenever we talk in public, we have to kind of we're supposed to always say that that um, just so that people don't get confused. That yes, official sanctioned, you know, um, conversation. Um, but yeah, so my background is in. I got my uh, I got my uh, undergrad in mechanical engineering, and I did that because I was interested in um, uh, prosthetics. Like at an early age, I I saw the movie RoboCop, and I'm not talking about this uh, <laughs> remake. I'm talking about the old school, the original, <laughs> the OG OG RoboCop, and I saw that, and I was like, I want to build that. And as a kid, like I saw that, and I I have been spending my life trying to figure out how to do that. Um, so I got into engineering. What was the first uh, first step in that? And you know, I worked in research labs. Um, kind of did a lot of off jobs um, as I kept building myself. So I went to Northwestern for my uh, master's degree, and I got my degree in biomedical engineering with a focus in rehabilitation science. And as part of my thesis project, what I did was looking at how uh, the impact of different uh, machine learning algorithms and training data sets can impact um, the control of prosthetic limbs and specifically upper limb prosthetics. Um, wow. So, yes, yeah, so that's how I'm, I'm related to all this. So that's where I really, like, cut my teeth in machine learning and, like, really thought, man, there's a, this is a very powerful tool, but it also got me thinking, especially my project was like, what kind of, like how, how you don't do these correctly, 
you may get something that looks like it works well, but it doesn't. Okay. How, how so? Tell me. Well, so, um, you know, machine learning um, um, really predicated on a couple uh, components, and then we'll get in that as we progress through the slides, but just to kind of give an overview is that they're built off of a known set of outcomes, data that is associated with those outcomes, and then this thing called weight. And so the weights say, based off of the outcomes and the features, they have, like, some things are weighted more than others. And so, uh, for example, in my, uh, in the research I was doing, we're looking at two uh, machine learning algorithms. Uh, one is it's called linear regression. Okay. And the other one is called linear discriminant analysis. Mm-hmm. And, you know, not to get into the guts of it, but essentially there's two different tools that have different strengths and weaknesses. And we were looking at giving it different training sets how well it can distinguish um, outcomes, like how well you can control. And in, in this case, I built a program that could control a little mouse on the screen just based off of um, what's called EMG. It's uh, electromyography, and it's a, it's a measure of uh, your muscle activity. So when you open and close your hand, you feel the muscles that uh, kind of do that on your forearm. Yeah. Those signals, uh, they give a, just like any... Um, uh, so one, like a basic principle of electronic or of, of uh, electricity is that when you have a closed circuit, there is a magnetic field that gives off. And so the same applies for arms. So when we move, we give off those, those muscles, give off the magnetic field and you can record those. And using that, um, scientists and researchers have been trying to learn how to use those for people who have an upper limb uh, amputation and use that to control a prosthetic arm. And you, oftentimes when you hear about it in the media, uh, it's usually called like people say controlling a prosthetic with your brain. And that's technically true because, you know, for the most part, all actions originate from your brain. Um, so when you think, so when you think about movement, that signal goes down your arm to the limb and then that gets translated into um, motion. So even when you have an amputation, you're still thinking about moving. And if you can train someone to like, think like they're opening their hands that gives off a certain signal in your residual muscles. Um, and that you, you can train those up and you can actually like build those and get them, get those signals stronger than then using machine learning algorithms. You can actually use that to interpret where they're trying to open a hand versus close their hand or turn their palm up versus per, turn their palm down. Wow. Dude, that's, that, that's amazing. That's some, that, <laughs> oh, wow. Um, Okay, just some questions. I got questions on that, but I mean that that alone is is amazing. So you can literally you, you saying you can train somebody like if they don't if their arms they don't have like an arm you can train somebody to do that to to, to send those signals into a a mechanical arm. Yeah, exactly. Um, uh, you can uh, members of your audience if they want they can look up look up what's called the Skywalk the, the Skywalker arm. Um, it's a very famous uh, project in machine learning uh, for upper limb prosthetics because it's a it's like a joint it would uh, I can't remember the university so I don't want to misattribute it but the Department of Defense was very interested in this project of like helping our soldiers who came back from the uh, Iraq and Afghanistan war um, helping them return to uh, life be able yeah. to uh, 
have full use of their hands and arms. So. Wow. Wow, wow, wow. That's amazing. But even with that, there's our caveat because okay. if you ever look at the videos, you know, you'll see this and you see something very impressive, and it is. I look, when I look at it as a researcher, I also see, man, that's very slow. I'm seeing a delay between what clearly what someone's like trying to do an action and when that happened. And okay. I'm also seeing like sometimes you, you give one command and you may see it do a little, do a little jitter, which means that it's, it's all those signals and it said, Oh, I, they want to close their hand when actually they're trying to fully open their hand versus close it. Or they were trying to rotate the wrist and the, the hand opens up first. Um, sometimes those are, um, those are actually designed in where, you know, certain motions are like coupled and sometimes those are just like a false signal. Well, not false, a misclassification. So it's thought that you're opening your hand versus uh, rotating your wrist. Wow. Interesting. Wow. This is, this, this is fascinating stuff, man. I this, see brother, that's, that's what's up, man. Um, so RoboCop, that's, <laughs> I love it, man. I love it. I love it. Um, sorry. Right, so you've got us some slides here, the age of AI, the pitfalls of AI and the impact on jobs. Uh, what you got, man? What, what, uh, let's break some of this stuff down. What, what, you, what you got going on here? All right. So, um, if you go down to the next slide to the overview. Okay. Um, so just starting out, this is a topic we're going to cover a five, five topics. First is a, what is AI and what AI isn't? Um, how does it work? What AI can do for you? Uh, then it's AI too good to be true and AI in the end of job. Um, Beautiful. Then progress to the next slide. So just starting off with this, uh, what is AI and what AI isn't? Yes. But AI stands for artificial intelligence. And it's often confused with machine learning. Right now, we are not in the we are not truly in the age of artificial intelligence. Really, we are in the age of machine learning. Oh, okay. Yeah. So there, there is a difference. AI. Think of artificial intelligence as a mechanical person, meaning you think, you make decisions, you make preformed thoughts. So you have independent thoughts, you have independent curiosity, maybe feelings, though uh, as Star Trek The Next Generation taught us, uh, data never have truly had feelings. Right. Right. Uh, machine learning is about, it's very task specific. It's not free, free, it's not free thought. Thing is that AI is going to be built based off of machine learning. So as we, it, if, let me say, if we ever truly create artificial intelligence, it is, as we created a complex series of machine learning algorithms. And whenever you hear the word algorithm, I understand algorithm is just uh, science talk for instruction. Okay. An algorithm is specific instructions, meaning you give me this, do th this series of commands and give me something now. Okay. Okay. Yeah. And so I'm going to use AI because you, uh, it's, shows up, I probably actually end up using them interchangeably, mm -hmm. mainly because it's easier to say AI, AI than it is to say machine learning, and I'm not going to say ML because no one's going to recognize it. But if I tell you AI, you're like, oh yeah, I know about the AI. Right, right. So you're telling us then that we don't, there aren't machines right now that are plotting our demise. Probably not. And <laughs> if there are, we, we don't know about it. <laughs> 
<laughs> no, there's that rumor about the ghost machine, but uh, you know, that's that's conspiracy podcast. Well, okay, all right, yeah, yeah, yes. So let me ask this then. So what about like when you see these commercials of oh Watson and uh, IBM and you know tell it to the cloud and you got you know Common coming on talking about AI and everything. What's what's up with that? Yeah, so they say the words AI, machine learning. Watson is a highly advanced machine learning algorithm. It's a, it's not just an algorithm. It's a set of programs where you're actually giving it certain data sets and it's giving you specific answers for those data sets. What Watson isn't doing isn't you just say, hey, Watson, how are you doing today? You know, today I'm thinking about um, the best ways to curve fossil fuels. Okay. Um, that That's like an independent thought. It's like, what are you thinking about? Oh, or, hey, Watson, what are you working on today? You know, I'm looking at the series of problems and I decided that this one is going to be a more important thing to tackle than another. Another one. That's actually machine learning because what you're doing is categorizing problems and saying that I want you to do a specific task based off of which problem you see is the most pressing based off of the data that we give you and how we trained you up. So it's, it's very good marketing. Um, Interesting. Interesting. It is very good marketing because, you know, got common up there telling me you know i should be using ai man all right so this this is good this is i love the breakdown of the difference and not to get them confused because you know i think i've fallen into that as well so that's that's good all right all right cool what we got next all right so going on to the next slide we talk about how does it work um so a classic machine learning example for them so this is um a very uh, easy problem to kind of get your head around to like bring you into machine learning. Um, understand that machine learning is very complex. Um, it's not a simple tool. Um, even though people are making like out of the box simple tools for end users, the math behind it is very complicated. And so just to kind of give a simple uh, scenario, yeah. um, looking at a restaurant. So this is a, a new restaurant that opened up in Oak Park and so for years, this restaurant has been like mainly just doing delivery. So they do pickup and delivery. You know, they, they came from Nashville, Tennessee, and they're bringing in the newest craze that, that, that hot, was the hot chicken that everyone's talking about? Oh, yes. Come on. Yeah. So, you know, they, that's all they do is delivery. But, you know, they decided we're going to put like, we're going to add a couple of tables because we've had a lot of requests for people just to be able to sit and eat because, they, you know, they, people say, man, I... I love when it's super hot and like fresh off. That's the best time to eat it as opposed to waiting 15 to 20 minutes. So they had like um, a couple chairs. So there's like three or four chairs um, inside and two or three outside. So very small space. And so they don't get a lot of people that stay in, but they've noticed like, man, we're not, some people aren't waiting around to, um, to come and get a seat. Like, we're not sure why that is. But they wanted to better understand, um, like, what what are the things associated with whether or not someone is going to wait for a table or not. And so here I just created a little sample data set where <clears throat> you have two variables. It's the current wait time, which I have on the, what's traditionally called the y-axis. Okay. That's the vertical. And then on the horizontal, also x-axis. That's the day of the week. And so... The blue diamonds are whether or not the person stayed based off of the data set. So based off 
for example, it was Monday and the wait time was 15 minutes, they stayed. And then the squares, the red squares are whether someone left. And that's, for example, if you look at Sunday and the wait time was 90 minutes, it didn't stay. And so these are two features that we have uh, for this data set. And you can kind of see like the information is clustered around. So you see that a lot of people when it was Monday through Friday and the wait time was less than 30 minutes, most people stayed. Now you had some outliers, right? You had one person on, on a Monday, the wait time was zero and they didn't stay. Okay. And then you see that on Friday, Saturday, Sunday, more people um, left when the wait times were outrageous. So like nobody was waiting 90 minutes. It wasn't one person on a Friday who waited 60 minutes. But for the most part, you can see this kind of cluster together. So if you were to look at this, and you, it, it would say that people during the week will stay if the wait time is less than 30 minutes. On the weekend, people were not going to stay if the wait time was greater than, you know, <clears throat> was greater than 45 minutes. Okay. And so going, uh, going to the next slide. So. Based on this example, you know, there's two components uh, that we have on here. So we know that, so, there, so looking at the equation, this uh, is P, and the way this is, is it's the probability of event Y, in this case, whether or not they stayed or left, given that you know X, meaning giving a specific data set, and that equals um, X, which is the data that we have, and it's called feature set. And in this case, our features are day of the week and wait time and multiply that by the weight. Okay. This is what kind of says like, based off of this information, do I give more weight to the day of the week or do I give more weight to the time of day? So think of it from a value from zero to a hundred. So you can start out with like 50, 50. So it's like, uh, it's a toss up whether or not uh, the day of the week matters or the, or the, uh, the wait time. Um, so those are like the main components. So, you know, once again, so that P, P, Y given X is the outcome that if they stayed. And we know this, right? We collected this information. This is known data. Um, and then you have your weight, which is the key part of the equation. Like this is a magic spice, right? You get this right. And this is what really tells you, yes, they suffered this information these characteristics, I know if someone's going to stay or not. And okay. so you associate the outcomes to the specific features. It's like, it's that glue that holds it all together. Fascinating. So let me ask this then. So if you put this yeah. information and data into, say, a computer, how would this then be kind of like transferred into like actual, you know, like, okay. So this, so let me, well, let me ask this. Let me reverse the question. Let me, what, would it be then something like, the information or the data could tell a business or people, whatever, like, Hey, you know, typically weekends, people aren't going to, we wait no 45 minutes. So why don't you do X, Y, Z? Is that kind of how it breaks down or? Absolutely. That's spot on. Okay. Okay. That's spot on. So uh, let's go to the next slide. It kind of talks about what you, what you just discussed. Oh, ah, here we so. go. All right. Slide six folks. Slide six. <laughs> so um, the key is like that W, right? How do you find that W? So what you do is you, the example that we have, 
because in, in that example, there were 30 uh, data points. Um, or a data, there are 30 data sets. So each set is a combination of that, of, the, of each of those features. So the day of the week and the wait time. And I have 30 of those. And so you start out with what we call a training data set. And that's where you know what the outcomes are. And you train it up to find that W. Um, now, depending on the method you use, sometimes you can find that solution directly. You know, uh, if you think back to algebra, right? Y equals X plus B. And if you know Y and X, you can find B. Uh, yes. Sometimes it's more complicated than that, uh, depending on the kind of machine learning analysis that you're trying to use, um, or sorry, machine learning tool or algorithm. Um, so that, once you use that training debt, you find your W. So now those are set. So you have that. Like okay, now that I have this, now I'm gonna have I'm gonna have what's called testing data set, and that's also, you know the outcomes of it. The idea is that you want to now put this new set of data in there and you want to see whether or not it predicts for each one of those cases. Like, so you give it 30 more data sets and you say, okay, give me, uh, here's the day of the week and the time. Did they stay or not? Okay. And it'll give you some, what it gives you is a probability. So it'll give you a probability uh, and the probability is supposed to be between zero and a hundred. Um, so it's a, based off of this data, the 50-50 chance this person is going to stay. And then you, and you look at it and you say, well, they stayed. So uh, do you really call it? So it will say, so you, you, you create some threshold. So anything over 50%, you say they're definitely going to stay. Anything below that, you say they're not going to stay. Okay. So look at it and say, okay, they're going to stay based off of this information. So, so, you, make a, so you have to make a decision on that probability. Um, so you look at it and you say, yes, I'm going to stay based off of this probability because it could, because you could come out and it says there's a 0.2% chance that they're going to stay, 0.1% chance they're going to stay. So you can say, okay, so I picked the highest probability of that. So now it's going to stay. Um, and then you just keep fitting that data set and you just check whether or not it gets right, right or wrong. It's like, yep. And so you come out and it says it has a 75% success rate. So congratulations, right? <laughs> yes. Now can predict with some level of accuracy, and that's important. And there's a level of accuracy you can get to, and you know, there's a thing called overfitting the data, uh-huh. and that's where you give it data that is so specific to your problem that it says I can predict stuff with 99% accuracy. But what that creates is a problem where you you're making certain assumptions that you that all your data is always going to be like this. And you, there are factors that you aren't thinking about that, um, what the, like they'll always come up wrong. You're like, man, I'm not getting why it's not predicting this case. Um, but then also remember machine learning, they can be wrong a certain percent of the time. Yeah. Okay. All right. So, so you, you created this beautiful algorithm and they still get it wrong. And we, and one of the important things is to understand what are the impacts of getting it wrong? In this case, someone stayed when, when you thought they were going to leave. There's no impact, right? That's just more money in your pocket. You thought someone was going to stay, and they, but they actually left based on these conditions. That's money out of your pocket. And you need to ask yourself, then becomes the question, why didn't they stay? Um, actually, if, they, if you go back up to 
diet number four, and we look at that table again. Okay. So you look up at the person who left on a Monday when there was no wait time. What you didn't know was that that person went to the wrong restaurant. <laughs> so you walked in, you're like, oh, this is not the right place, and then walked out. That still counted because the person that you assigned, you had sit there who were just counting people all day. Yeah. They don't know whether that person walked in for the right or wrong reason. And But that's also important. Like, in truth, you don't want to include that person in your data set because they walked in for the wrong, like, that's, that's not a, unless your goal was to even convert people who walk into the wrong restaurant, um, you, that's someone who probably should be excluded from your data set. Interesting. Okay. Okay. Man, this is, uh, hmm. Okay. Well, let's keep going. I got questions, but just keep going. This is good. This is good. Okay. Yeah. So, you know, now you can, now you can predict with some love accent, you can go rule the world. Yeah. Not so fast, right? So, <laughs> seven. All right. Not that simple. We just looked at a problem that was, <clears throat> had two feature sets and two possible outcomes. If you have something that simple, sometimes machine learning is more work than is needed. Hmm. Okay. Okay. So, I mean, in such a simple case like that, maybe you really just need to keep your wait times down. <laughs> I mean, it, that's right. For the most part. Yeah, you just keep your, I mean, that's very simple. Keep your wait times down. More people like, so someone's like, well, I'm going to buy this, uh, buy this, uh, $100 a, uh, a day software from you. But all I need to do is keep my wait times down. Right. Um, but there could be more questions involved. Like, <clears throat> what if you want to know whether or not you have indoor versus outdoor seating? What time of day it is? Like, maybe there's a period of time where people are willing to wait more. And it appears there's time where they're not. So then that impacts how well you do staffing. So, you know, you need to bulk up during certain hours. Um, what are your Yelp reviews? This hot chicken place could have the hottest Yelp reviews. And so people are going to, as we've seen with some of Chicago food scene, people are going to wait. Yeah. You hear the legendary yeah. lines. I mean, pre-COVID, we had those lines out the door. Right. Um, people just waiting. No, I tell you, I, used, I had to go in for a while before we... Uh, we, we did teleworking and I would drive by Portillo's and there was a line out the door. It, oh. it was most people of, uh, people who were doing, uh, Instacart and, uh, Grubhub probably. Yeah. But, you know, you'll see a line at the door. Yeah. No, I remember that. I remember you, me and, uh, Jenna and Mahalia back, uh, back. We, we waited in that, that one spot, man, back again, pre COVID. Yeah. All right, all right. So each problem needs different types of machine learning. Okay, good. I'm with it. I'm with it. Yeah. So you know that's really that's really guts. Is like, and there's you know there's a, there's a lot more to it, right? Like understanding your feature sets is really important too. Um, like under so that's where like I, I call machine learning has like three three key components to it. First is the statistical component of it. And so you need to be good at that to really understand when is it appropriate to use different statistical methods. Okay. There's a programming part of it because you got to be good. I mean, you have to have a level of programming to be able to create programs. Just, it's just the way it is. 
Um, luckily, we live in an age where most, I mean, there's YouTube videos and there's like free online learning classes to where you can learn a lot of programming. Um, you also can learn a lot of stats too um, online. The third part is that feature set. And man, let me tell you, data is like the most critical aspect. It's one of the most critical. I don't want to under undersell the other two points. But you got to have good data. And not only good data, you need to have good features. Like you okay. need to know what features are you picking for this problem. And that's where like having a level of expertise is very important. You said having a level of what? Expertise. Oh, expertise. Okay, okay, okay. I got you. As an educator, you have a level of expertise in terms of like classrooms, like what keeps people attention and what just has them snoring, you know, passed out in, in the back row. Um, <laughs> so if you're training, if you're training a machine learning algorithm to figure out how how to improve your end of year review, like you need to know all these important aspects. So if I'm from the outside, I'm just going to kind of guess, right? I'll be like, well, you know, I think it's probably like how long the class is, uh, how comfortable the seats are, how interesting the material. You know, I can come up with some metrics, but then having a level of expertise is like, well, you got to think about these things. And it's the things that we don't think about. And it can they can really trip you up when it comes to machine learning. I bet. I bet. No, I, I absolutely I can't I mean, I know just statistics in general. I mean, I know that's it's it's fascinating to me, but at the same time I, I can kinda of get lost in particularly probability and you know, and how those things, you know, those that, that plays out. So I, I I can imagine this gets uh this gets complicated. Now let me ask this, uh, and and maybe I'm 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 jumping the uh, the gun here, uh, putting the cart before the horse. But what about like you know AI? Because we've talked a lot about this in class, just about how AI, for example, example you know facial recognition software, like you know, and and the stuff that it does get wrong, right? You know, uh, particularly as it looks at black skin or darker tones of skin and and whatnot. Right. Uh, you know, how does I don't know if that, again, maybe just jumping the gun, maybe you're already going to cover this later, but I figured I'd ask it now, like, you know, when you're talking about how does it work, something like that, what, uh, like, what goes into something like that? Yeah, so, and this is where, like, I tell you that expertise is important. So this is an area where I do not have the expertise in vision, uh, vision, uh, vision software and facial recognition software. Um, I can tell you, uh, just from like general um, studies of it, how it typically works is, so imagine this, so you have a face, right? So you are a software and you see, you're trying to train train the software. You say, okay, I need you to recognize a face. That software doesn't know what a face is. Mm-hmm. And so that's the first thing you have to do. You have to, tr- you have to tell it, this is what a face is compared to everything else around. So you do some um, digital filtering techniques where you mess with the colors and you, um, you you try to like get rid of all the noise around it. Noise being like the background. You don't need that. You actually have to get rid of like the shoulders and stuff like that because you just want the face. You got to get rid of the headphones that may be on there. So you have to, un- so that's where the first level of expertise comes where you have to get rid of all the other information in that image because you just need the face. And okay. so there's a level uh, success you can do with that and a level of, of failure that comes with that. Um, there's some decisions you have to make. You, Some people may, if you're like real quick, you're like, you know, 
typically faces are in the center of the photo. And so you can say, you can divide up the image and say, here, right in the middle, this is where a face should be. If you make that decision, you may, you're going to miss out on all the group photos. You're going to miss out on faces that are off to the side. Because you know how there was that time when people were taking selfies and it was like, your face in the corner, you could see all the background around you. Right. So you'll, you, those will be a problem. But let's assume that you can figure out how to properly remove the background. So now you remove the background. Now you need something to where you're like, how do I, so now it's like, how do I, t- I need to tell the difference between this, a dog, a cat, a bird, because I figured out how to remove everything else and I just have these faces. How can I construct what is a human face versus uh, something else? So that's where you figure out different features. So for example, you know, uh, and I, for, um, a, for the general population, people have two eyes, a nose, a mouth, two ears. So then you have to figure out how to identify the ears, how to identify the eyes, how to identify your nose, how to identify your mouth. And then you also like, oh, I also need ten because just having those components may not be enough. Yeah. And then yeah. you also say not just enough to have those things, right? Because dogs have two eyes. Dogs have a nose, dogs have a mouth, dogs have ears, right? Because the program doesn't know where the ears are located. So then you have to say, oh, okay, where the, there should be like some kind of ratio between the distance between the eyes and the ears. So if you like drew a line connecting both ears and then you drew a line connecting both eyes, the distance between those lines has to be a certain amount. So then you've been able to determine, okay, so based with that, you know, if the ears are way up top, then I know that that's probably a dog or a cat or, you know, in this other category versus uh, uh, versus being a person. And you just kind of keep walking down that problem. Okay. So, um, and man, I, I, I got into it and I lost my train of thought. But, well, <laughs> what the question was. No, 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 you got it. You got it. I was just wondering, you know, again, how those, you know, how, how some of that comes together, just in particularly how it's just some of the, the errors like racism comes into that, right? It's like the AI being able to, you know, I, I, we, I posted the article uh, for our class earlier in the semester, um, you know, looking at how some of the Amazon, you know, facial recognition software stuff just doesn't doesn't do well with dark skin. It, you know, it, it mistakes them for quote unquote criminals or this person was wanted. I mean, I think mm-hmm. they did it like on NFL players and they mistaked like uh, Oprah for a dude and like yeah, so I'm it, again just asking some of those questions because I guess the broader question then becomes, you know, what do jobs look like in the future as it pertains to that? And especially the level of stuff that, you know, China has, like, will that stuff come over? But again, I may be jumping the car. We can keep going here with what you, you have written down. No, so actually that's, so since we're talking, we're still on like how you build an algorithm to the machine learning algorithms to do this. So that's actually really important, right? It goes back to that feature set. So, Let's look back at the Amazon problem uh, where you're saying that, and I apologize, I don't actually, I don't, I haven't, I don't actually have that article um, and I haven't read it, but so what you're saying is, and it's probably either Amazon, but Amazon probably uses um, photos from from Google images to train their algorithms probably. Um, Fun fact, if you look up black images, you actually get a lot of mugshots. 
<laughs> okay. Uh, I'm not sure why there's a lot of black mug shots in there versus uh, white mug shots. Yeah, I yeah. Trash. <laughs> what's true is you you can you start seeing, and I'm not saying like you just see like page after page, but as you say black men, you may see like a lot of mugshot pictures, and it's because like um, there's different services out there that have been aggregating uh, mugshot photos that are open source from different um, uh, from different uh, municipalities out there. And, and and there's nothing, but you know. So with that underlying data set, we have a disproportionate number of black people being arrested. Not and the thing with a mugshot does not say where you were convicted. Mugshot just means that you're arrested, you're booked, and they took your photo. Right. Finger. That's all that means. And so because of that, and that's because that's open source, and they don't go through their mugshot list at all. Well, this person's innocent, so. Um, they just have mugshots. Like just, it's just a big data dump. And so because of that, if you have a disproportionate number of images that are showing black people with mugshots, and remember that feature set I was talking about? Yes. Imagine, you know, one of the things that they have on mugshots are those bars in the background that let you know height? Yes. So, so the algorithm starts to pick up on that, for example. That could be a feature that it looks at and you say, huh, you know, these images have a lot of this. And it's also showed associated when you do the saturation and filtration, trying to remove background stuff. I also see that this is a black person. So I see a lot of black people in these type of images. So I see a background image that has this, and I see black people with this. Oh, so they increase the weight with black people being criminal. Um, also, what happens is sometimes when you're like removing backgrounds, yeah. as we know, we know from photography is that you got to have a photographer who is used to taking photos of black people. Right. Because you can't use the same saturation and uh, you can't use the same levels that you do for black people as you do white people. Also important when you have mixed groups, right? And so you'll see that image where, you know, someone take a picture and it's full, full of white people and then one black person just looks extremely dark, even though they're not that dark. It's because of the way that those images are processed or just taken based off the lighting and, and the different settings you have in the camera. So because of that, you start, the faces become a wash. So it starts to lose the distinct features. Okay. So all of a sudden, now you just got a bunch of pictures that look like, yep, all black people are criminals. It's like, no, 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 no. It's, you've got bad data. And it, this is the thing I want you to know. Garbage in equals garbage out. Yeah. Give it bad data, it's going to give you bad results. With that, with that, yeah, it's sad. Uh, it's frustrating. Yeah, no, no, no. Well, I mean, so that's because I'm looking at. Okay, so we look at uh, slide seven. We have looking at slide eight. You said, "How does it work? What are the challenges?" You talk about need data. A lot of it. We've talked a little bit about that at the beginning of the semesters too. It's just amount, and this even some of the documentaries that we watched was talking about just the sheer amounts of data that go into into this. Mm-hmm. Yeah, you need a lot. It's not 30 people. It, it's funny, even in the field that I, I mentioned, which is um, using uh, biological signals to control devices. <clears throat> and, you know, and that includes prosthetics, for example, using that EMG data I was telling you about. Um, we don't actually, it's funny, we've adopted machine learning into our, uh, to control these uh, devices. We do not have enough data that the that we actually need. Like, okay. We're looking at like thousands of data sets or 
a data sets and really should be having hundreds of thousands to millions of data sets to really train up these algorithms. Okay. Okay. All right. So you can imagine facial recognition, you need millions of photos to really distinguish between people, plants, animals, planes, cars, like all this stuff. And then from that, you need a lot of data features. So, um, like, you know, in that, in that facial recognition problem, just having a little bit that I talk about isn't enough to actually distinguish between two people. It just, it's like, it starts to get you towards whether or not this is a cat versus a person, but it doesn't help you in terms of, is this Dan versus Paul? Because you and I, I mean, we're similar complexion and we keep our head about the same uh, length. Well, I do whenever uh, my wife yells at me and tells me to cut my hair. <laughs> right, right. But like both of us kind of do the, the strap chin, chin look. And so you'll start having a bunch of those photos. And if you don't have good features to distinguish between those individuals, they'll all get labeled the same. Yes. Yes. Okay. Okay. Wow, man, this is this is good. This is good. This is good. I appreciate you indulging uh, me with that. Well, let's let's continue. Let's keep going. I know you got other slides here, man. Let's 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 let's, yeah. let's keep hitting it, man. This is good. Yeah, and just to kind of wrap it up, you know, you need so you need to know what features are important, um, and that's where the expertise level. You need to know what you need and what you don't need. You need to know what can impact your algorithms by having too much of one thing versus another. Um, and because of all this data, you need a lot of space. And you also need an increase of power in your computers, which is very interesting. This is why machine learning has really kicked off post 2000. It's because we have faster machines. We have more data storage in, in smaller spaces. You know, those are like the key components you need to really get machine learning. It's why we didn't have machine learning back in our days. Okay. Because we just needed so much data that you couldn't fit it on those little floppy disks. Yeah, right, right, right. Right, so moving on to slide number nine. So what can AI do for you? So AI is a very powerful tool. It's going to continue to be a very powerful tool, and it's going to have bring some good things to our society. Um, some of the things that, you know, we can use it for is like weather prediction. So very right now we're in the middle of tornado season. Yep, you know? yep. And so... It'd be great to be able to know under what whether what, uh, what conditions help us predict whether or not we're going to have a tornado and very and get very specific of it to being like based on the patterns. This is how they're going to change over time, and this is the pair the areas that are probably going to have a tornado coming up soon. Like even being predicted down to the you know to the hour or minute can be helpful. Um, AI is being used a lot in in healthcare. Uh, like you said, you gave the example of Watson earlier. You know, they are impl- they are using Watson now to actually do some diagnosis work where they're just feeding in the data and they said, oh, it looks like it might be terminal cancer or it looks like, you know, based on these images, I noticed this one little tiny speck here. And based off all these data sets that I've seen, that speck is associated with the lupus. Um, so you need to have this person looked out. Um, vision system, you know, computer vision systems for cars, I mean, self-driving cars, yeah. they do a tremendous amount of data and man, like I can't wait for this to be a thing because 
it's going to be very nice for me to be able to travel across the country, just drive with my family and not have to actually drive. I can, <laughs> we can actually just sit and watch movies. So we, we have roving movie theaters and be able to sit and play games and hang out and just talk and not, not having to be at the stairwell at all times and just let the car do it. You know, there's a big yeah. hope that, that um, this is going to allow us to have less accidents. To have what now? Less accidents. So, like, you have all these cars out here that are very smart, and they have sensors and technology so that they can bet them. So if all the cars on the road are run on an algorithm, the hope is that they will they will unify uh, traffic patterns so that you don't have a lot of the accidents that are associated with, you know, people trying to catch their, their exits so they do dangerous things like cut across uh, three lanes of highway just so they don't mix their exits. Um, people not paying attention and then like ramming into someone because someone ahead of you suddenly breaks. Like the idea is that you will have cars communicating with each other. And then if one starts to apply the brake, it sends that signal out and they know where they are in terms of uh, space, relative space. And then they can adjust accordingly without you having to actually react. Man, that's like some stuff off of, uh, iRobot and stuff, man, with the computer. Know, right? <laughs> computer. That's all that happened. We yeah. just the, we the car. <laughs> we accidents left or right. Right, 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 right. Okay, okay. And then there's always there's everyone's favorite controlling the start market. That's what people love. Controlling okay. the what now? Uh, controlling the start market, being able to predict um, when to buy and when to sell. And ah. so, just a little. I'm not. I'm not a financial advisor. But I can tell you, buy low, so high. Don't do the opposite. <laughs> yeah, well, right before this whole COVID nineteen, a lot of GOP uh, uh, senators they did they they I sold know. high yeah. and. <laughs> yeah. Oh Lord, have mercy! I know, I know. Uh, yeah. Yeah. So you know, there's, and there's a lot of other areas that people are trying to use. Um, AI to help with. But the thing is like the question is like whether or not AI is too good to be true, right? So that brings us to our next slide, slide 10. All right. So um, I just, I so this next section is just a couple of articles and um, like for this one, I, how Amazon accidentally invented a sexist hiring algorithm. It's hilarious. Now we'll say I did uh, include a link to the Inc. article. Okay. I actually recommend that people like, you know, you can read the article. It's actually really short, but I recommend people read the more thorough article that's linked in here from, from a uh, rotor that goes through more of like how it actually, how they may have actually created this algorithm. Um, but yeah, so, I mean, in this example, what happened was Amazon, like everyone else wants to be able to hire the best people. Yeah. And so as part of that, they have a lot of smart people there and they have a team that's dedicated towards creating um, algorithms to help help in their interview. Oh, sorry. Sorry. That thing just went oh, off. My, my bad. My bad. My bad. <laughs> oh, got some Amazon haters. Yeah, it's got some Amazon haters. My bad. That thing just went I was trying to move a, a, a knob and that touched it. Sorry. <laughs> Please continue. Uh, no problem. So, yeah. So, I mean, you can imagine, right? They get probably thousands upon thousands, tens of thousands of applications every time they do a job posting. Um, and so that's a lot for anyone to kind of go through. So uh, people have been developing tools. You know, they do 
just stuff like keyword phrases tools that kind of look through our through a resume and look for keywords and if they find them they move them to one pile if they don't find them they get kind of cut they get cut from that round and yeah. it just progressively increased until they get to what a manageable size of uh, resumes for the HR department to actually go through um, so they wanted to say how do we automate this and why not use artificial intelligence right because they they're like we have we have tons of data of um, people submitting their resumes. We can see who we actually pick and also look at their performances that they've done within their company. It's like we know who, so we can associate what parts of this resume is associated with people that not only we hire, but are stellar at their jobs. So this is where the expertise in the area that you're doing is very important because if you have a company in tech, Odds are the vast majority of your workforce male. If you have a company in tech, odds are the vast majority of people who apply for your job are male. Okay. So if you give a machine learning algorithm a bunch of data showing men who were successful at at their job and who got hired and were successful, and you look at the ones that didn't get hired, and man, and one thing that came up was they, uh, they started discriminating against women. So the, it, the, uh, from the Reuters article, it says, in effect, Amazon system taught itself that male candidates were preferable. It penalized resumes that included the word women with apostrophe as in women's chess club captain. <laughs> and so it kicked out those people because yes. they weren't getting hired and they weren't highly rated. So clearly, if you look at this, what is the, the thing that has the lowest weight? Well, it was, it was associated with women. And so thus they did not use that. Interesting. Wow. And here's the thing. It wasn't on purpose. They weren't saying, how do we ensure we get the more men into this company? It was just, they had, it's the available data that they had, which wasn't from a diverse data set. That they use the training algorithm with. Okay. Interesting. And also, so like, you know, and the thing is like, man, you, um, I don't know if you, so a lot of jobs people get, especially, especially at, um, uh, in tech is through word of mouth. Like people get hired a lot through word of mouth or through like, Oh, we're alumni from this school. I, you know, I, I just graduated from here. Can I talk to you about this? this position that you have. And they say, oh, sure, absolutely. I'm always happy to help alumni. Well, if if everyone's coming from Harvard, Stanford, Yale, and Carnegie Mellon, um, you're going to keep hiring a bunch of people from those schools, and that shows up in your resume, and that shows up in the algorithm. So you're more likely to pick people from those universities. So if you are you went to a, a all-women's college, and there's not anyone from that all-women's college that you can call up and say, hey, I heard about this job. Can I talk to you a little bit more about it? That shows up in the data. Shows up in your data set. Wow. This is deep. <laughs> this is deep. Because, you know, there's all kind of questions, right, that, that come up. And I'll probably have the students, you know, kind of interact a little bit with this uh, in the discussion forum. But just like, you know, what then does that say about, you know, hiring practices and just, you know, some of the other, you know, lines of inequality that, you know, uh, that exists, particularly in, you know, in, in, in tech that we 
that we know of. But this is this is fascinating. Wow. Yeah, I mean, what it does is exacerbate. It exacerbates an already bad problem because all well-meaning people didn't stop and think, hey, you know, I'm looking at... One thing they could have done is like kind of... And it's actually hard because, you know, the example I gave was two-dimensional. This Their feature sets probably are like thousands, maybe tens of thousands long. Like it's not a small feature set for you to go through with all that data. That is so much information to just kind of look through and be... And to say, like, man, we're seeing that this is really pulling out. Like, what school you went to? But that's an important part to do. It's hard. takes a lot of work. It's an important part of the job to look through. And that's what happened. They actually looked and started noticing that they were getting... Now, um, the article says that they didn't... Amazon stated they didn't use this for the actual hiring process. So their goal was to be like, give me the top five people for this, and I can hire them uh, automatically. So never having to go through the interview process. Like, yeah, we just know the good people based off of this resume, then we can just hire them. But they're saying that we didn't do this. So that's good. Because Amazon, this is from their statement, says this tool was never used by Amazon recruiters to evaluate candidates. So it sounds like it was in the early stages and and it got leaked (laughs) and uh, they they squashed it. Doesn't mean that but this thing is still going to come up. More people are going to try to use it because it is true. We do want to be able to figure out like how to best put people to different jobs. But man, sometimes there's that human magic that, that gets lost in that. Wow. 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 Wow, man. Well, I know you got, this is good. I got quick questions, but I, 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 I want to keep us moving. This, this is fascinating stuff too, man. Yeah. And then so, so far, um, going on to slide 11, looking at our next one. Algorithms should have made courts more fair. So this article is, this is where it's well-meaning, but in the end, it doesn't work out that way. Um, So this was about, um, um, this is kind of a review of how uh, Kentucky was using, wanted to, (laughs) Kentucky was actually trying to make their system better. They were trying to figure out how to do cashless bail for people that weren't at risk, that weren't risk. So they, you know, you go to, and here's the thing, like when you get arrested, right? In this country, you're presumed innocent until proven guilty. Yeah. Especially because if we arrest you for a crime and it's not, you know, you're at a, you're a low risk individual. How do we make sure that you go back out and work, continue working, keep, you pay your bills, you know, until you actually have your day in court. Um, this now to be clear, they weren't. They didn't want this for like high risk people. So like I, I think if you're like accused of murder, for example, you probably uh, you're probably not going to get cashless bail in that case. Um, but you know, if you were you get a a speeding ticket for going like twenty or thirty over, um, and you get a reckless endangerment charge, those individuals they were letting to get back out. But so. You know, in 2011, they passed a law because where they wanted they wanted to actually look at the uh, can we use metrics to figure out how to categorize people into more or less uh, risky categories, and people who are low to moderate risk could go home and continue living throughout society until their day in court. Um, and it wasn't the thing was. A lot of judges weren't using it 
because they were still going in and say, well, you know, um, I know that this, uh, this law was to reduce incarceration rate. Um, but they weren't, they, they said they didn't trust the system. So they were like, okay, I don't trust the system. So, uh, I'm still like, they will overrule whatever the outcomes were. So it came back later where they, the Kentucky uh, legislator mandated that they had to use this. It was no longer optional. But the thing is, is that based off of the way that their data was that they were collecting and the, you know, the disparities that we have in our system when it comes to race, what it showed was that white people were more likely to, to receive cashless bill and black people were less likely to receive cashless bill. Like the, no, the Kentucky went from like a 50-50 whether people, you know, it was kind of even whether blacks and whites were getting cashless bill before. Yeah. And then it went to, oh yeah, we're letting white people, uh, not, no, nah, I don't want to over that, but it said that white individuals were going home more and black, the number of black individuals were decreasing. So more people who are of color were being kept um, kept uh, until the day of their trial because they were deemed, essentially they were being deemed, deemed high risk according to the algorithm. And that's another area where it's very important to understand your data set. Yeah. Yeah. Wow. Wow. All right. This is great. This is great. I love it. And for those, again, listen, I'll put these uh, articles, I'll link them um, in the, um, on canvas and, uh, you know, they won't necessarily be required, but I highly recommend, uh, you know, reading them and whatnot, because I think these, uh, these, uh, highlight some, some interesting points. This is great. Yeah. So, I mean, and it's, it's so sad, right? Cause this is another example of well-meaning legislator yeah. was trying to fix the problem they had in their system and it ended up, uh, adversely affecting African-Americans. Right. Right. Ooh. And, and, you know, garbage in, garbage out. If you don't have good, diverse data set, you'll get, I mean, you'll get results like this. And the problem yeah. is, is that but there's a lot of companies who are selling these type of packages out there. And the thing is, they are black boxes, meaning you don't know what their weights are. You don't know what their features are. You don't know what they're looking at that is telling. Now, one thing is by law, what they can't use, they can't use race. And I want to make sure that I say this. These aren't companies are out there saying, like, yeah, we got to make sure that we're, we're discriminating against black people because we know that they're more violent compared to everyone else. It's just that what oftentimes happens is you don't have that diversity on your team. So when they're coming up with these feature sets and data, they don't know what could be discriminatory. It could be as simple as your zip code. Yeah. As simple as your zip code to be like, we have higher rest in this area for this zip code. So these, the, these, this group is more likely to be committing crime um, because of where we police more. Sometimes it means that you get more people in the system from that group with certain crimes. So that's all it takes. Oh, people in this street are more likely to be, to be a violent offender so we need to make sure that, oh, yeah, this is a high-risk person. And, and which is funny because sometimes streets like, you know, Chicago, we have streets that go from one side of the city to the other. Right. And they cut through, the, uh, through poverty lines. But then you have others that are just located within their group. So by looking at those intersections, sometimes it turns off individuals. Wow. Wow, 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 man. This is, yeah. like I said, man, this is the stuff right here. This is, this is interesting. 
Yeah, and so moving on to 12. So this is a sad, hilarious example. Um, this is where, <laughs> this is a programmer from New Jersey who, uh, if you you could, uh, if you can find this tweet, it's very hilarious. Um, basically, Google Photos labeled black people gorillas. Man. <laughs> that all. Yeah, exactly. I mean, uh, you know, those are those days where I sit there and I think, you know, I wonder, I really wonder how, how good a testing they're doing. <laughs> because I felt like this should have showed up when they ran some tests. Like, there's a lot of black people being labeled gorillas. Um, maybe we need to tweak something. <laughs> right. Right. You would think. You would think. Yeah. But yeah, so this is a, a, I'm sorry, I said New Jersey. Uh, this was a, this was a Brooklyn programmer named Jackie Alkin. I apologize if I, if I uh, misspelled the name, but you know he uh, he noticed that when he was uploading photos to um, to one of, to one of the apps that it labeled him and his friends both African Americans gorillas. Man, and so that comes with that feature set problem, right? <clears throat> so if you can't identify feature sets well. I mean, you know, primates and humans have very similar feature sets in terms of location of our ears, location of our eyes and nose. And so if your eyes and nose are a little too squinty, well, it puts you in the different group. But then it also, also along with skin color. And so if you have short hair, gorillas have short hair. Uh, we have wider nose. Well, gorillas have wider nose too. And so it's funny because like the first step in that uh, machine learning algorithm should have been like, is this a human or not? Yeah. Like that should be step one. Where, where are you? Are you human? The animal? Your plant? You down the list. And once you get past that, it should, you know, that should fix the problem. So it may mean that either that wasn't the first step in their algorithm or it also me might mean that they just work like their algorithm cannot identify African Americans as humans. And then it goes through, you know, it's first through like what were we more likely? And I'm like, oh, well, gorillas. Ah, and it's you know, it's it's very sad because um, you know this young man was a programmer and he understood this problem. He's like, yeah, I know where this problem comes from. It's bad data set. It's like a bad, you just didn't program in enough diverse. You don't have enough diverse data set because what's true is if you look a lot of images on. Uh, that, that you can easily put, that Google had easy access to. A lot of them are, are people who are not black. There are uh, people who are white and Asian. Um, they 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 have a larger number of data within that set. Yeah. Jeez, man, this I'm just I'm just this is this is good. I mean, I hope you know this gives us pause to to think about you know like you said just some of the broader exacerbation of things, man. Wow. And so what's funny, like a, a, when you read the article, uh, as a Google spokesman, Katie Watson said, we're appalled and genuinely sorry that this happened. We're taking immediate action to prevent this type of result from appearing. There's still clearly a lot of work to do with 
automatic image labeling, and we're looking at how we can prevent these type of mistakes from happening in the future, right? And so what they did was basically they took they took gorilla out of the tag. So it was like, all right, we like, you can't, we're not labeling anything gorillas anymore. So what it meant was that if you sent a bunch of images just of animals, it would not tag anything as a gorilla, period. Which is, I mean, that's damage control. I, immediately, oh, we got this big problem. Let's make sure that we take care of this, right? So this occurred back in 2015. So, <laughs> so, I, was, so I was looking to see um, what has happened since then. And so an article from uh, 2018 from our friends at The Guardian shows that, and it, you can look at the, it's on the next slide. Go for that it. Google's solution to accidental algorithm racism, ban gorillas. That's right. They <laughs> still haven't fixed the problem. And their solution for the problem was no more gorillas. Right. They can't even fix it. They're like, uh, we don't, I, here's the thing. Don't know if this, so this could be a lot of issues. One, it could be, so the hope issue is that because, I mean, Google has been around for a long time and they've been working on this stuff for a long time, which means that their systems and algorithms they have are built upon layer upon layer and layer of data and weight. And when a team probably, and this is my, once again, hopeful, hopeful um, thoughts on this is that when they went in to try to start fixing this and they started feeding in more data, it broke the system. Wow. So it just started like spitting out random stuff and it was like, or not, you know, it was mislabeling stuff left and right. And so they're like, man, this, like we built this layer upon layer of stuff and we just can't fix this. And so for the time being, you know, no gorillas so that we, we can't have more hashtag not a gorilla out there. Um, so that's, that's like, and so, and I'm hoping what they're doing is like, they're in the background still working on, like, man, we got to build this back up from the back from the ground up, which takes years. I mean, their software has come a long way and it's been like decades of them working on this or decades. Um, but then there's also, then you start walking down the line or it could be that this is a low priority for Google and they're like, eh, it's fine. Like we fixed the problem where it doesn't label gorillas anymore. So that's good enough solution. And it just <laughs> moving forward. Oh, Oh man. Wow. I want to make it clear. I don't know. And it's very important. Um, I really hope that Google is just working on a problem in general because man, I, I love the idea of like just being able to tag, not having to go through and tag everyone in my photos. Yeah. Oh, that's helpful because then I can go through and I'm like, man, let me see all the cool images I have with me and Dan. I can do that simply. But, you know, I, I don't want to go through it. Let me see all the images I have of me and Dan. Uh, the tag is gorilla. And so <laughs> right. we went through it like, yeah, well, this one would be actual gorilla. <laughs> this was kind of mislabeled. But. Right, 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 right. Wow, brother. Yeah. This uh, this is giving us a lot of good stuff to think about. <laughs> the key is like, this is important of diversity. Um, I know we all, you know, sometimes there's... Uh, People are like, man, I have diversity fatigue because we're always talking about it and why it's important. But this is why it's important. It's important to have diversity so that you don't have a hiring algorithm that excludes 
specific group because you started out with a biased set to begin with. You don't want to unfairly put people in jail longer than they have to be before their court date because they come from a specific zip code if that's the reason why the algorithm was doing it. Same thing, and even for our fun little stuff that don't really impact us outside of how we feel, including our society, we want those to work too. It's like having that diverse, if you had enough diversity on the team, someone would be like, hey, looking at the photos on here, and you know, we have 2 million photos and only 500,000 of those have African-Americans. We, we probably should figure out how we can get more diversity within that. Um, same thing with the criminal justice issue. If we just looked at more of this stuff, we can start saying, yeah, we really need to work on the way that is tagging certain information. Maybe this feature set needs to be removed altogether. And we shouldn't look at zip code. Um, yeah. Wow. Wow, wow, wow. Because I want to get to predicting tornadoes perfectly. I want to get to uh, being able to do great medical diagnosis so that we can save more lives. Catch stuff early. So many cancers are curable when you catch it early. Yeah. Yeah. But we're not always going in for checks x-rays every five, you know, once a year because that's bad for you. So there are right. other biological markers that we can use from our everyday screening that we do or the yearly screenings that we do. They can say, hey, you're at an increased risk of cancer. You should go get an x-ray. And then you go get an x-ray. And you're like, oh, yeah, we found that. We caught it early. It's, uh, it's, it hasn't gotten to the lip node. So we can actually like go in there, cut it out, and start you with a full body, full body spectrum of, uh, well, that's antibiotics. But, you know, you start you on chemo or some of the other treatment. We'll also look at things, man, based off of the type of cancer you have, these treatments may be best for you. Or you compare some like, hey man, you have a very aggressive cancer. We also have a database that has been looking at different studies out there. And we can actually recommend you to the study because you're a good candidate for this. You know, there's all kinds of really good good things that can come out of AI. Um, but man, there's some bad stuff too. Right. Whew. Well, this, this is, yeah, go ahead. Well, I'm just saying the worst part is it's not always intentional. That's the yeah. thing. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Talk yeah. about the, the, the racist practices. That and sometimes it's not intentional. Racism isn't always intentional, and that's the sad. That's that's the hard and dangerous part, and the scary part. Because when we think about that, it makes it harder for us to just go in and say, "Let's fix this." It's like, "Well, I didn't mean to do it," and we, that's where we say, "I know you didn't mean to do it, but it is, and we still need to fix it." Yeah, or the sexist part because Amazon. Doing it based off of, uh, uh, you know, identifier traits for women they have in their resume. Man, well, brother, this has been great. This is this is exactly what I was hoping for, and to give us a good in depth view and overview of this, how it works. Um, you know, I know this has come up a lot. I, we actually had a couple of really good uh, student presentations on on AI. I wish you could have been there for that. I didn't record them, unfortunately, but uh, they were they were really good on this particular subject. So you've you've helped engage us a little bit more, you know, with this reality and, and whatnot. So I I mean I I really appreciate it, and thanks for taking the time during this uh, you know COVID nineteen crisis. Absolutely. Uh, thanks for inviting me. Um, I really appreciate the opportunity to present some of this material. Um, I think it's important. Um, 
because some of your students are going to go out there and help change the world and want to make sure they have the tools that they need, but also understand the limitations that, uh, that exist. Yes. No, absolutely. Absolutely. And I think the, I just, before we go, I mean, I, I wanted to, so slide 14, I know you talked about AI and the end of jobs. There's a couple of links in there, uh, as well. YouTube, I'll post those in the, um, in the, uh, uh, in, on canvas as well. Um, real quick before, uh, we wrap it up here and whatnot, where can folks find you? If they got specific questions, they want to reach out to you. I mean, I know you're doing the government thing, so, you know, you got, <laughs> they got that clearance and stuff, man. We can't be asking, you know, where, uh, 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 what's his name? Uh, Bauer, uh, is, is that and stuff, man. So, but uh, so they can reach out to me at my, uh, so my email is, uh, my last name, Hammond, H-A-M-M-O-N-D-I-I. Because I'm Paul M. II at gmail.com. Perfect. Perfect. I'll put those in the notes as well. And, um, you know, have folks, you know, they have specific questions. And I highly, you know, recommend, you know, reaching out to this brother, man. Um, well, thanks again, Paul. Really appreciate uh, just uh, all the information that you've left with us. This is this has been great. Hey, thank you. Thank you.